0: Cast now with Derek Bell
1: Thank you to Steve Schiltz for that great theme song, and thank you for checking out the Paltrowcast with Darren Paltrowitz. On this 44th episode of the Paltrowcast, I spoke with three entertainers who are doing very interesting things. Bruce Kulik, Anna Sophia, and Mickey James. First off is my interview with Bruce Kulik. Some people call him Bruce Kulik. However you say his name, no one can doubt that he is one of the top guitarists out there of the last few decades. Bruce is one of those people that 50 people might know from 50 different things. He was in the band Kiss for 12 years. He's been in Grand Funk Railroad for 20 years. Before all that, he played with Michael Bolton, Meatloaf, The Good Rats, a whole bunch of great people. He's even been sampled by some hip hop artists. That's something that we spoke about in our chat. In general, we spoke about Grand Funk, his long-term career, and what he's got going on. There may be a book from him from the near future, but the bottom line is, Bruce is a hell of a nice guy, and he always has something going on. Hi, Bruce. Hi, Darren. Hey, how's it going there? Okay. Great, well, thank you for calling right on time, and I have a lot to ask you, but I'll keep it as short as I can. So you've got the upcoming tour with Grand Funk Railroad, and I believe you've now been in the band for 20 years. When you joined, did you know that it was going to be a full-time, long-term thing?
2: Well, you always hope when you get involved in a situation like, um, sometimes I jokingly call it grand Funk point two, you know, <laughs> two O oh, it's that kind of thing, that that it has, you know, the longevity, um, the fact that it, like, out-surpassed, you know, and it's uh, gone into the 20th year and... I mean even my run and kiss which was 12 years I consider to be huge because so many bands just don't last very long um so in in many ways it it's 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 a, it's an amazing feat and in other ways it totally makes sense because we we do all get along and we do all respect each other and, and the music that we play and and the fact that um we're able to you know, uh, make people happy and play our instruments, which all musicians love to have the opportunity to do. That—that um, that, that I guess is the fuel. You know, that keeps it going. And we—and the—the most important, of course, is that these venues that we get booked at. You know, we wind up going back many times, and that—that's a obviously a testament to the success of it.
1: And of course, Grand Funk is one of the most influential rock bands of all time, but before joining the band, how many of the songs did you already know how to play?
2: I didn't really know like the actual songs in the sense of playing them, though I was very familiar with um, a bit of that catalog. I wouldn't say all of the catalog, but um, there was a couple of things that were always standout tracks. I mean, I've even covered with some of my musician friends, um, American Band and Closer to Home, um inside looking out was a song though that was remarkably um fascinating for me that i remember seeing um and i don't know what show it was but there was a live performance out there that i was just like oh these guys are amazing you know i was just like so into it And i have to admit you know even though i met don brewer on the secret tour when i was working with michael bolton and we opened up Seeger and that's kind of how I got on the short list and I'd seen Don Brewer at a NAMM show you know and we'd say hi but when I got that initial call I was kind of like wow this this is like wild you know the the opportunity to play guitar with Grand Funk you know it was it was kind of uh, um, head spinning in a way you know uh, I originally even thought it was a prank email when I saw the email from him you know but it wasn't obviously
1: well anytime somebody's been in a band for a really long time of course there's endless sound checks before the performances and of course rehearsals beyond that and you're somebody who's a multi-instrumentalist i'm curious in a dire situation could you fill in on keyboards or play the whole show on bass you know
2: uh keyboards no definitely not i i you know i do love bass and i've played bass on my solo stuff and i've Professionally recorded, even with kiss bass parts and all so um it, it, i I definitely i I wouldn't say that I would do it, but I'm just saying I think I would be able to maybe do the bass, but I'd be sweating
1: <laughs> very, very much <monster. laughs> yeah, I mean, Mel, right. Mel is
2: a monster, and he has some really creative parts. Um, but, uh, and it's funny, it's funny that you mention it because one of the songs that I remember doing with, uh, with my buddy, Eric Singer was close to home. And I was the bass player for that track when we were jamming one time at this, uh, pretty cool club in LA. So, um, uh, maybe I could pull it off on bass, but uh, I wouldn't want to. <laughs>
1: Well, going back even before KISS and I believe before Michael Bolton, you were part of the Good Rats, which is kind of a legendary Long Island institution. Did you spend a lot of time on Long Island growing up or in your early days as a musician?
2: Well, you know, I started out in Brooklyn, uh, but by I was around, I guess it was around 13 or so, I moved to Queens. So, you know, and, you know, obviously you're, you're a Long Island guy, you know, that Queens is connected, you know what I mean? So right. there were many things connected to uh, Long Island, uh, not, not always really far in Suffolk, you know, but Nassau County, my dad actually worked at a plant, um, off of like, uh, in like Jericho or something like that in Westbury, you know, I think the street was called something with Jericho, but. I did know um, quite a bit of, and I had I had some friends that lived on Long Island. Now, obviously, when I played with the Good Rats for two years, you know, we would play like just about everywhere in Long Island, including uh, New Jersey and stuff like that, the tri-state area. But but even my meatloaf days, you know, you had to play uh, my father's place out in Roslyn, right? You know, uh, there's that connection to Long Island. It's it's a good music uh, uh, community related to New York, but not like Manhattan. That's all.
1: Right, right. Do you Nothing still like Manhattan, that? actually. <laughs> yeah, suburbia. Do you still consider yourself a New Yorker, given your roots?
2: Yeah, I do. Um, it comes out, like, when I'm there, like, for any, even like a day or two, I start talking more East Coast New York. But I've, you know, I moved out to L.A., you know, um, during the, like, within a few years of being in KISS, and so that would have been the mid-80s that I lived out in on the west coast. So, and it's funny how you lose a little bit of a you know, accent, but I think I'm always a New Yorker at heart, absolutely.
1: And speaking of New Yorkers, not everybody realizes that you had a song that was sampled by Jay-Z. Did that change your life in any way given that that, you know, brings in a little bit of publishing money and all that? And I ask that because Billy Squire his life changed through hip-hop samples.
2: Right. Actually, um it's funny you mention it because it is on Wikipedia and it's out there, but the Jay-Z thing is not, has never been handled. Okay. Um, in other words, uh, I've been sampled, but never been paid for. Okay. And Michael Bolton and I know that, um, it's not an easy thing to, um, correct. Okay. At this point, And I'd rather not say any more about it, but I will admit that, um, Kanye West, Uh, covered also a song from Michael and I from the college dropout that was properly um, licensed or, you know, approached, you know, and and we're songwriters on on the college dropout album on one of the tracks that I did make money from. So it's kind of funny. I mean, it's been out there quite a while and you're the first person to ask, so yeah, how about that, you know, song with Jay-Z, you know, and it's like, uh, it's, it's, it's an unfortunate um, uh, little issue that I, I, don't really know how to exactly handle it. Okay. It's not as easy as you think when you want to uh, say, hey, what about me? You know what I mean? I don't know what to say more than that at this point.
1: Apologies for the sore subject. And when mm-hmm. I interviewed Gene about two years ago, I asked about funky cold Medina that had kind of sampled Christine 16. Any idea yes. where it is? that hip-hop producers are kind of finding these deep cuts from you and michael bolton and kiss and etc is it people like rick rubin that are just have these records
2: well we know that kanye um knew about the blackjack albums and the second one in particular was like pretty not well known at all so i think it's 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 a, a fun thing for them to explore and then recognize that hey this little part from a leslie west mountain song or whatever or billy squire or from something from my career fits, you know, and uh, obviously the KISS uh, sample is pretty cool.
1: Right. And on the KISS end, you were going to be on the KISS cruise this next year, which is already sold out. Is it enjoyable at all to be on the KISS cruise or do you kind of have to hide away because there's a lot of photo ops and a lot to do?
2: Well, you know, and it's a great question. I, I Look, I don't really hide. I'm very cool with the fans. Everyone's pretty respectful. Obviously there's some times when it's just like, you know, if I want to eat, you know, there's actually a dining room for the artists. So you're not really disturbed, but you know, sometimes I want to go up to the buffet where all the fans are and, and, uh, it could get a little crazy, but the fans are really wonderful on the cruise. It truly is like Disneyland for kiss, you know, and, and the cruises are so, um, kiss fans in general are, are really, they have a good time, but nobody gets crazy and there's no fights on the cruise. And, Everyone's like really supportive, and they understand that uh, um, you know I need to get from one place to the other. So you know, please respect that. So um, I don't really have any 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 you know, you know bad bad taste in my mouth about that. They're they're all really great with me.
1: And at this point in your career, people think of you as a real member of Kiss. And I say that because I believe you're the longest tenured member besides the original four. And you will get well. Actually, Eric
2: and it. Tommy are really tacking on a lot of years there. Okay, but but I had that solid twelve in a row. Okay, you know where where uh, Eric? Uh, I mean, I, Tommy might be in there already over twelve years, believe it or not. But either way, your point about me being a member in a sense, where even though I haven't been active with them since '96 officially, uh, I do feel that I do. Uh, even though I'm um, I'm part of the extended family, I would say.
1: Where I was going with that is an album like Carnival of Souls. Your DNA is all over that. You, I believe, sang lead on a song besides playing bass and co-wrote mm-hmm. a lot of the album. Is that an album that you're proud of?
2: Well, I am. I know I, it, it, the funny thing I always say about the record because I know Paul was never a big fan of it. Um, but we wanted to do a darker and heavier album than Revenge. It's where the music scene was kind of heading, and you know they decided to work with a guy. Who worked with Alice in Chains toby wright who uh certainly uh had his you know vision for what we could sound like and i and i got busy so if you love the record that's fine you can be happy with my contribution and if you don't like the record don't blame me because that was like kind of the direction that uh the band chose and you know the band doesn't go to places that gene and paul aren't willing to explore okay it's uh, you know um Eric Singer and myself don't make those decisions and just like Tommy and Eric don't make any of those decisions even currently, you know? Uh, so, but, but I, you know, there is some really um, interesting material on that record and um, I, I am proud of it. And I especially think the, the work that I put into I walk alone uh, really stands up now. I know I did it on the last year's cruise and it went over really well. So i I was very, very excited about that.
1: One less KISS question, then we'll bring it back to you. And that's, sure. you were in KISS when there was an all-Jewish lineup of the band. Was that something that ever came up that you guys sat around and thought, hey, Rosh Hashanah's
2: coming up? Uh, well, that's not really correct because there's no Jewish drummer in the band. And Eric is uh, kind of has a German name, his actual name, but he's not Jewish. So, uh, but three of the band members were Jewish. No, I mean, uh, but it is kind of funny that that um, Paul and Jean and I, you know, we do get that heritage thing, you know, and and uh, there are certain things about it. Gene being a little different, being half Israeli and Hungarian, where Paul, Paul's parents and his heritage is closer to my parents. Uh, but you know, it really always just comes down to work ethic and music and the love of, of what you do. And those guys are extremely successful. And I'm, I'm you know, if if, if you know. You know, there's a lot of really talented uh, Jewish doctors, so I see them as kind of like doctors of music, you know what I mean? Uh, I was happy f- to be around them and see how, they, how hard they work and how they apply their their brains to uh, something so, so successful as uh, a band like Kiss. So back
1: to you. We've mentioned a lot of names besides Kiss, besides Grand Funk, besides Michael Bolton. You mentioned Meatloaf and all that. You've really spent 40-ish years working with the greatest of the greats, and by default, you had a lot of songwriting co-writes and so forth. Is there a career accomplishment that you're proud of in general?
2: I do love it when uh, someone reminds me, like you just did, of you know all the great opportunities that I've been associated with and i and i and i know that i'm very very blessed with um a long career where you know f- through my guitar playing primarily even though i sometimes contributed as a songwriter or a co-writer um yeah, i was able to sustain an, uh, a career and be active out there and be active um and even during these grand funk years I, I always still keep that connection with my kiss years and and other people you know for sessions and things but um you, you know, I know the highlight of my my uh, career has always been uh, being a, a member of KISS. But but, you know, when I think about the fact that I had the opportunity to tour Meatloaf and and uh, do an album with Billy Squire and work with someone like Michael Bolton, who is still out there performing and successful. And then and, and now, of course, all these years of touring with Grand Funk, you, you know, it, it, it does um uh, Uh, blow my mind a bit. But, you know, each each day and each week and each month and year uh, is always setting up, you know, um, uh, events that you're comfortable with, that you feel you you can be successful with and and keep keep moving the career forward. And that's a challenge. So when you're on the day to day, you don't you don't always reflect over some uh, larger picture. But thanks for reminding me.
1: (laughs) And any chance we might see a book or a memoir from you in the future?
2: You know, I did work a bit years ago with a guy in the industry on a book, and we we did have quite a few chapters together. And then I saw all the people putting out books. Most of them were pretty harsh on other band members and things like that. But it's the way they wanted to share their um, experience. Um, I do want to do a book. Uh, I think a lot of it will be much more about the process of not only, you know, my career. Excuse me but I think it would be related as well to uh, the process of all the things that I've done, talk about that video or that album, what it was like doing it and and why I felt it was successful or not, you know? So I may, may have a little different approach rather than just complaining about, um, you know, some of the disappointments. Um, uh, So it wouldn't be a negative book is what I'm, I guess I'm trying to say, but I do want, I do want to do that. Yes.
1: Well, definitely hoping to read that in the near future. So, finally, Bruce, any last words for the kids?
2: Well, um, the kids. Most of my fans are older than that, but I do have a lot of kids <laughs> fans. Um, obviously, I'm on social media. I, I do like sharing, you know, what I'm up to and places I've been. Like, I just saw the you know Aerosmith in concert, so I shared some some video and a little review that, that I put up. But I like I like uh, you know uh, getting uh, the feedback from fans. So. Uh, you know, and I have a brucekulick.com is my, my website and then social media. It's pretty easy to find me on Facebook, Instagram, and, and Twitter. I'm all there and you see the little blue check or whatever, you know, it is me. Okay. Uh, fortunately I'm verified on those three. Um, and, and, you know, of course, um, please come and check out Grand Funk. You know, I think, uh, you, you, know, the people that aren't that familiar with every hit from the band are still going to love the show. And uh, I get featured quite a bit, so if you're really just wanting to hear my lead guitar playing, almost every song I have a a, a ripping solo. So come on out and party with the American band. Outrocast. My
1: next interview is with Anna Sophia, just 16 years old, already has a major label record deal. I don't know about you, I didn't have a major label record deal when I was in high school, and still don't at 38 years of age, but. Her new EP is called Self-Aware Bitch. Some people have calling the genre bedroom pop. Whatever it is, she had over a million streams before she signed her major label record deal. So clearly she got her start early and is on the right track. We spoke about that new EP, what's coming up for her, whether or not she's gonna be going to college or as they call it in Canada, university, and socks. Hope you enjoy.
3: Hey Hi, Anna, how's
1: it going there today?
3: Good, how are you?
1: Great. So I want to get to it and talk about your new EP. And it has a really iconic opening line to it.
3: I only want a few close friends.
1: Yeah. Did you know that you were making such a bold statement with an opening line like that? I guess. Kind (laughs) of. Well, hearing your music, people kind of call it bedroom pop. And when you hear that, it's lo-fi, but it's actually really well produced. But in your case, does the music come first or do the lyrics usually come first?
3: Uh, First is the concept, and then the music, and then the lyric.
1: Got it. Now, of the new EP, which of the songs is written first?
3: So, uh, first one we ever wrote was I Try. And then we had Mina Girl, No Fun. I think after that, it was Bad Day. or "Waste My Time With You. I forget. I just know that I Try was my very first song that I wrote. And I was very sick that day.
1: Well, around how many songs did you write for this EP?
3: Well, the EP was basically my first experience with writing. So I had a lot to say. And that resulted in every single song we wrote, we used, which was pretty amazing. I think we only dropped one. And so I felt pretty accomplished with that because we, we worked really, really hard on each song. So it was good to see that they um, that they were written... Um, and, like, we, like, really, really liked them. Like, we didn't know if he would really, really like anything that I wrote at the beginning. And then we ended up, like, really liking everything. So that's, that was a very good sign. And um, I realized that I was working with good people. And I had a really amazing team around me when we, when we wrote music that we all loved.
1: And you're known to be a multi-instrumentalist. But did you play most of the instruments on this album? P rather? Um, I did not.
3: I did a lot of, like, basically I'm involved in, like, every single aspect, but um, I was always, whenever we were in the studio, I was focusing on lyrics, song melody, uh, vocal melodies, um, and some of the production, so I was very focused, and I was kind of in my own little world, because I had to think of the com- concepts and nail down the melodies, and get some ideas for the lyrics so that was always my job while everyone else kind of had their own little thing and then after I would come around and see what we should keep in or take out or use this don't use that so yeah I was always in my own little world focusing on the
1: lyrics and everything else it could be sort of a drag as an artist when you have to answer the who are your influences question but who was the first artist that you were really passionate about that kind of inspired you to start being a creative force yourself
3: if if I'm going back to like, like the people who made me want to do this, it was Selena Gomez and Justin Bieber and Demi Lovato. I watched a lot of movies and from Demi Lovato and my favorite show, um, had Selena Gomez in it. Um, and I love Justin Bieber. So they kind of influenced me to do, um, or pursue a career in the music business. And, um, My writing influences were probably Rex Orange County or Elton John, uh, Tyler the Creator, uh, Queen, um, Billie Eilish, people like that.
1: All over the place. Any punk influences? Yeah, I am
3: all over the place. Not really, no.
1: (laughs) And really no metal either, it sounds like.
3: No, I, I don't really love listening to that. Maybe if I spent more time listening to it, I would like it, but... I don't usually listen to that music.
1: (laughs) But lyrically, as I was talking about, very, very strong lyrics on this EP. And you said that the concepts come first. Is it that you think of a title and then work around it?
3: I usually come into the studio with a story to tell, um, whether it's like if I had a bad day at school, which is basically how Bad Day came about, um, or if there was a problem that I had. Everything, my whole basically everything that I write about right now is about high school. So this will all relate to anything that happens at school. And then I come in and, and tell them a story. I'm like, you know what? I really want to write about this story. Um, and then, so that's when we get the concept. And then the title comes at the very, very end. Like we don't even know the title until like way, way later. If we, uh, usually it'll come out as a song but we never usually think of the title until the end.
1: How's the reaction been in your high school to the fact that you have a big EP coming out or rather that just came out, but was a long time in the works.
3: Um, It was actually really amazing to see how many people supported me. I have a lot of good friends at school and um, they were, they've everyone's so supportive. They've been playing my music. They've been sharing it. um, And I, I hear that a lot of our, parties or whatever whenever we hang out so it's been amazing because a lot of people have shared it and posted so they're all super supportive and I knew they would be from day one
1: usually when you have a big release you're kind of thinking one two three years down the line with touring and promotional appearances do you have to defer college in order to promote the ep and all that
3: well like college like school or college
1: Yes. Sorry. The American term, university, college, whatever you want to call it.
3: Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, I do. Probably. Um, right now I have a different uh, kind of school routine. I have three courses um, homeschooled and then one class at school. Uh, it's it's very difficult to keep up when you're missing a lot. I miss like probably two or three days of school a week. Um, so it, it is definitely difficult. I do want to pursue a career in, um, entertainment law eventually. So that's what I'm hoping to go to school for. So I'd want to eventually after the music, you know, once it starts to die down, I'd like to go back to school and check out entertainment law.
1: Wow. That's big aspirations right there. But in the meantime, do you (laughs) hope to tour the world and do a lot of touring in general, or do you more hope to be a home recording artist?
3: I hope to do a lot of tours. I have been performing my whole life. I uh, play piano and I used to be a competitive dancer and I used to do competitive singing, um, whatever, things like that. And so that was a lot of performing. And um, I also used to just perform at little venues, um, like community venues or even just restaurants that had open mics. So I've Always loved to perform, whether it was dance, piano, singing, anything. Um, So I hope to get back out once I have a bigger library of music out and then start to tour.
1: And are you already thinking about a full-length album or a follow-up EP? Or is it really one project at a time for you?
3: I usually enjoy releasing EPs. In my opinion, um, when I listen to a full-length album... It's a lot to take in, and I usually tend to forget what song I like. And being the artist that writes this album, it kind of sucks when your favorite song kind of gets overshadowed by the bigger songs on your on your album. Whereas when you have an EP, there's only a minimal amount of songs, so you're you're kind of you kind of have to listen to all of them, and you can't really forget which one you like because there's only like six or eight songs. So I usually like that because I, I realize that every single song gets a good amount of attention and there's fans that are um, more geared towards one song. And then there's the fans that like the other song better. So every single song has like their, their fans and um, which I, I like a lot because a full length album, some of your favorite songs can get lost.
1: And totally aside from all that, you have a great name on Instagram. Can you say it out loud? Because it's going to sound terrible if I say it. (laughs) It's
3: mismatched socks, yo. And that's just because I can never find the same socks in in my sock drawer. My parents always take my socks for some reason. It's like I'm the sock dealer of the house. So that's literally the only reason why. There are days where I do have the same socks on. And that is because it's a lucky day and I found the same socks. But usually I can never find the same socks. So I'm always struggling. So that's why I named myself Mismatched Socks.
1: That is great. Can we one day see a line of socks coming from you?
3: A hundred percent. Actually, um, someone made socks with my face on them. And I, li- I literally already lost the other sock to that one. Probably one of my, my mom or my dad has it. But um, yes, 100%. I'm, I'm dying to start merchandise and definitely make some funky socks because I, I love wearing funky socks myself.
1: And hopefully that's the only thing you lose. You don't lose equipment or anything like that?
3: No, no. Just my socks.
1: <laughs> great, great. You've given me so much to work with, so I'm going to ask the closing question. And that's uh, any last words for the kids?
3: Well, that's a tricky one. Follow your dreams. You don't really listen to what other people think that's basically what my whole EP is about being a self or a bitch you kind of just got to go with the flow do your own thing don't let anybody change you and I've definitely showed that in my music video Um, the whole idea was to kind of expose the fake people in life who aren't here to support you and they just want to change you and and they want to make you someone who you aren't, and that's a big thing for me is don't change for anybody, and, and let people know that you are you and that you can't be changed.
1: Last, but definitely not least, is my interview with Mickey James. For over 20 years now, Mickey has been one of the top female wrestlers in the world. I think she's a seven or eight time world champion. Whatever it is, She's also a singer, songwriter, and musician. For the past decade or so, she's been recording and putting out music beyond touring. So in turn, you have this award-winning wrestler and award-winning musician who puts herself out there and is always grinding while being a mother and devoted wife and all that kind of stuff. We touched on that within our phone chat, and I think this is a very unique look at somebody who's excelling in two different entertainment-oriented fields. Hello. Hey, it's Darren, how's it going there? Good, how are you Darren? Great, thank you very much. So I saw that you played the Seneca Hotel Upstate New York a couple weeks back, maybe it's a month and a half back. And for those who didn't get to see you live, what's a Mickey James live show like?
0: It's exciting, uh, you know, we have so much fun with it. Like we build out our shows to really just be, you know, a good range of like my songs, the songs that I wrote and the songs that I play. However, it's like a party. It's fun. Our, I like to say that our style is very, like, country-southern rock kind of thing. So it's, it's definitely like a, a blended kind of show. Um, but it's just we had such a good time. And, and, you know, I'd been up at Seneca Casino a couple weeks prior for the Native American Music Awards and then came back, like, two weeks later for that show. So it was the first time I had performed as an artist there, and it was just amazing. And we had such a great crowd, and it was just fun. And we like to have fun at our shows, you know, so if you can't have a good time out there, there's no sense in doing it.
1: Right. Now, a lot of people learned about your singing abilities, probably from the hardcore country theme song that you did. But when did you want to become a singer versus pursuing a wrestling career?
0: I think I, I wanted to be both as a child, you know, like as a kid, you, you know how you have all these dreams and aspirations as a child. You're like, oh, I'm going to be this and I'm going to be that. And like, wrestling was my thing with my dad and that was our bonding thing and it was just ironic kind of how I fell into it after high school however you know I grew up riding horses and that's honestly what I thought I was going to be doing with my whole life because even though I wanted to sing I didn't feel I wasn't confident enough in myself or even thought I had the ability to be a singer I would record myself and I would say that you know what I mean and I would practice and I would do chorus or like choir at church and stuff like that but I just wasn't super confident in myself And especially not confident enough to stand up on stage and make myself so vulnerable, you know. Um, And it wasn't until I was on the road full time with wrestling that I went back to my, you know, I played violin for five years in school and all that stuff. That I kind of really went, started going back more to my music roots. And I, you know, really assessed that to the fact that I was on the road 200 days out of the year, at least, sometimes more. And a lot of that time was spent in my car listening to the radio. And I found that I've always written, I've always written, you know, just ideas, thoughts, whatever. And I felt like I was, I was starting to write more in a lyrical sort of form and it just, and I'm singing, you know, obviously singing along and everything. And then I started realized I was writing to not just in a lyrical form, but to melodies that were on the radio and stuff like that. And um, I just started writing songs and I started writing or what I thought were songs. And then out of that, you know, I decided, you know, this is the one thing that I always wanted to do as a kid. And I was just completely fearful and just self-doubt and all these things that fear brings in. And I was like, I'm just going to go take these songs to Nashville and cut them or, or at least cut the best ones. Like if it's only two of them, it's fine. If it ends up at the coaster or on my mom's coffee table, it's fine. But at least I, did. <laughs> I don't want to have that look back at my life and go like, why didn't I ever do that? Like it was only because I was scared. And, and you know what I mean? And so I did, and I came, and that was about 2008 that I brought these, you know, a collection of stuff that I wrote down, and in that, you know, I've met so many people. I met producers, and I uh, just met a bunch of people, and it was Kent Wells, who, he plays guitar with um, Valley Parton, who was also the producer on my first album, who was the one who I think, out of meeting with all these different, and I mean, I was meeting with all, like, big producers and stuff, as well as, you know, just... Nashville producers and it was he was the one that believed in me or like really made me believe in myself I think and he is like Mickey, you have these great songs and these are great he goes I want to put you with songwriters I want to get you you know strengthen your songwriting ability because I think that you genuinely have talent he goes but you also have a unique sound that doesn't sound like anyone in Nashville right now and you have such a unique story and background he goes I would really rather than just cut these couple songs for you as more of just like a vanity project for you is I would rather take you in and, and really try to hone and find, so you can start finding yourself in this if it's something that you're serious about. And through that process of building my first album with him, I really started to believe in myself a a bit more. And then we released that first album. It just got such, you know, it was only like my three of the songs that I wrote on it. And we got songs from different songwriters and publishing companies. And, um, But out of that, you know, I met with a bunch of different songwriters as well to continue to keep writing. And that was in 2010 that I put my first album out. And I'm so grateful for him because I don't think that had he given me that courage or that belief in myself that I was capable of doing that and it was, you know, obviously capable of more than just putting out an album of songs that I wrote for myself, that I would have explored it as much as I have because obviously I fell in love with the business and I, I love music so much. I just feel like for me, it just creates a balance of from coming, you know, of, of spending, you know, the last 20 some years of my life in this agro male dominated, aggression built industry to right. release really a softer side of me that people don't often know, or like the other side of me who makes up the real Mickey James because I go by on television, my real name, which is a rarity in the wrestling business anymore. Like people use pseudonyms. So when they go home, they can turn off their character and be who they are, their real name in real life. Well, I don't have that luxury. Like it's a blessing and a curse, isn't it? I'm so grateful for it. But at the same time, you meet me in the street, it's still Mickey James. So people have a, I have trouble like tape, you know, differentiate the balance between television personality and real life. You know, like they think I'm just that person all the time good guy, bad guy, indifferent, rather than, so I just feel like this allows me to just have this creative outlet to release a whole, all these thoughts and, and emotions and and life stories of both myself and my friends, um, to the universe and to the people out there who actually want to hear it. Um, and it's just amazing for me. It's therapeutic and I, and I love it so much. And now here I am going on four albums almost later. So We've Well, two full albums and a bunch of singles, and we're getting ready to release an EP. And then I have a later, hopefully later this year, I'm putting out an album of all originals, all stuff that I've written, which will be a first time I've done that. So I'm really excited about that.
1: Going back to something you said, if you don't mind here, that kind of singing along to the radio and all that instilled that confidence in you. Was there not a phase in your life where you sang in high school talent shows and you had a garage band or anything like that?
0: No, I never had a garage band. We lived in the country. We didn't have garages. We had sheds. (laughs) Uh, But I just sang, like, I I did choir in school, like, but more as an elective. I played the violin for five years. I played both through, you know, two years in middle school and um, three years all the way up until about my junior year in high school, I played, you know, the violin. Um, But I I never sang in chorus, and obviously we would put on, you know, as a, Younger child, they can make you do those plays, don't you? You did Mary Poppins and we did all that stuff. And But no, I never. I, I did chorus in school and I would do choir, you know, in, in church, but not full time, you know, because it, it just, I, I showed horses. Like that's what we did. We trained and showed horses. So most of my weekends and were consumed with the farm and, and riding and breaking and training these horses to get them ready for the show ring. I mean, I sang in my car. I sang, I would sing on these. I'm going to date myself right now. But, like, you know, on the A side, B side with the microphone plugged into your uh, radio, like, recorded myself singing.
1: That's <laughs> not at all dating yourself, believe me. <laughs> but, but going back to another thing you said... You described your band as, you know, a country and Southern rock influenced kind of band. And that could, of course, mean a lot of different things, whether you're talking about Marshall Tucker or you're talking about <laughs> Brett Michaels or, or what it is. But what were the bands in the first place that really got you singing? Did you start off with the hard rock path like a Zeppelin thing or is it country was your gateway?
0: No, um, I would say country and pop at the time because. You know, and a lot of like R and B and old soul. That's probably my when growing up. Like my father, he listened to more R and B and soul and that kind of stuff. Like Aretha Franklin and, um, you know, Otis Redding and Percy Sledge. That's his jam. And my mom was more on the Prince and Madonna and that whole pop era of that. You know, that kind of vein. She listened to all that stuff. Whereas my stepfather was actually who introduced me to country because he really listened to, that's all he listened to was Waylon and Willie and, you know, just that old outlaw type of stuff. And so I grew up with such a vast, like, and then obviously like when I was growing up, there was like, it was pop. It was, you know, Snoop Dogg. It was all these like different variations. So, and then playing the violin, I I listened, you know, we played all classical. It was all Mozart, and Beethoven and all these, you know, crescendos number five and all that stuff so I grew up with such a vast range of music but I think what resonated with me the most is like it would be between the Deanna Carters and and Reba McIntyre's and Tim McGraw who was my favorite and then still probably my favorite honestly I love him I'm obsessed with him him and Reba are my favorites of all time and Dolly obviously but I think that I just kind of hold in like all those sections, what I really, my music, if anything, is more about storytelling and telling stories, you know, and I feel like that's kind of where I gravitate is how do you tell a magical story to music, you know what I mean, and where people can hear it and understand it and follow it and feel it. So, going back to another thing you said... I love a good amount of Guns N' Roses, and I like all that stuff, too. But, you know, I like I like all music. I really do. Like, I'm just obsessed.
1: Right. And going back to what you said of having two full-length albums and EPs and singles and so forth, it is a real career, especially when you're getting bookings like the Seneca, which has real, real artists like Alice Cooper and all that playing all the time. Looking ahead... Do you eventually want to be on the road 50 dates a year? You know, I know with wrestling, it was 200 plus dates a year, which is not scalable. But do you want to be on the road 50 dates a year, something like that? I would love to.
0: Yeah. I think I've become so accustomed to live, like being on the road doesn't scare me. I actually love it. I enjoy it. I find my comfort in it because that's how I've lived my life for the last 20 years is out of a suitcase and on the road. So that part, 50 days, sounds like nothing to me, especially compared to the schedule of being on the road that I'm accustomed to. Um, and if it's being able to do something that I love and being able to put my music out there and perform in front of people and, put, and hopefully it might, one of my songs might resonate with one of them, then that's amazing. You know, so I would love to be doing more shows and, and stuff. You know, obviously, it's, it's been a bit more challenging, I think, since I went back to WWE um, to tour as much as I was doing prior, because I just went back in 2016. So we were doing a lot more dates prior to me going back. And then I kind of scaled it back just because I wasn't for sure how, I also have a five-year-old son and he comes first, right? So then I wasn't for sure how both of those schedules were going to be able to mesh and collide until I was on the road enough to know what that landscape was going to look like, right? Um, But since then, I've been able to come back and then be able to do like the shows at the Seneca and do open for Big and Rich and do some really cool um, shows and stuff. So whenever I can play out, I try to we try to play.
1: And ultimately, are you also looking to write for other artists in the future?
0: Oh, God, I would love to. I would love to. Because here's the thing is that it's for me, there's no ego when I'm songwriting. There's no ego behind it of, oh, I have to sing my song like If someone else sings my song and they love it and it resonates with them and they can sing it better than me or they can take it to a different level than me, then by all means, like, how amazing is that? Because it's still my words on paper and my story and then they're just being able to deliver it to a massive audience. Like, that's a huge compliment, I think.
1: Well, being very respectful of your time here, I'll ask my closer, and that's any last words for the kids? Just follow your dream and follow your heart. I just say, like,
0: There's going to be, and I say this with everything, like, you will be told no a hundred times before you'll be told yes. Like, if you, but you have to have that dream in your heart and that desire and visualize yourself there and just not take no for an answer because no is very easy for people to say, you know, because they, it just is because they don't, they have to, they have to know that you want it just as much as, as you say that you want it you know what i mean and a lot of times it just takes a lot of dedication it's hard work and you know but if you believe that you can and you really want it just go after it and don't let anyone stop you Paltrowcast.
1: thanks for listening to the Paltrocast with darren paltrowitz as produced by puregrainaudio.com theme song by steve Schultz. audio mix by mark piero until next time have a great shabbos